1: Good morning. It's 830 on Wednesday, May 27th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the governor asks for continued resilience from Mississippians, and the Senate Appropriations Committee gets an economic forecast. Then we look at the phased reopenings of restaurants in the region in our latest Gulf States Newsroom Roundtable. Plus, after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, dreaming in the time of COVID. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Cases of COVID-19 are trending toward the 14,000 mark this week, signifying that the fight against the coronavirus is far from over. During his daily press briefing yesterday, Governor Tate Reeves addressed the need for continued resilience.
2: We do continue to see a steady number of cases in our state. That number is not declining significantly, and it certainly should serve as a warning to all of us that this disease is not disappearing. We have to stay vigilant. At the same time, our active hospitalizations, our ICU patients, our number of ventilators, and our total number of deaths, every single one of them being a tragedy, have continued to stay relatively flat. The number is so low that they fluctuate every single day but it looks like the number of cases is primarily driven by finding asymptomatic or unserious cases through our ramped up targeted testing.
1: Reeves says the steady number of cases are the result of aggressive testing measures including in their state's hardest hit population centers long-term care facilities.
2: The most impactful testing push has been in our long-term care facilities specifically our nursing homes. A week ago We set the goal to test all of our nursing homes in a two-week period for 14 days. I want to report to you today that we are a little over halfway there. Remember, that was testing approximately 17,500 patients and approximately 10,000 employees in each of these facilities throughout the state. I'm proud of the progress that we have made there, and we'll continue pushing forward to meet our ultimate goal of testing every single one. To everyone working and living in a nursing home, I know it's not pleasant, it's not fun, but it is necessary and in the long term, it will save lives. It is probably the most meaningful thing that we can do at this point in the cycle.
1: As cases remain steady, the state looks to its financial recovery. The Senate Appropriations Committee held a hearing yesterday in which they were briefed by Commissioner of Revenue Herb Frierson and state economist Darren Webb about the state's financial situation. Webb says nationally the forecast is for a deeper than expected recession.
0: As a general rule, the recession is expected to be deeper than what we were saying in April. And the recovery time, because the recession is deeper, it takes longer for us to fully recover. So a lot of people will describe the current situation. You know, you hear all these phrases all the time. It's unprecedented. It's um, uncharted waters. And those those are apt descriptions. This is totally new. Uh, this is uh, something that we've never experienced. Certainly we've had pandemics before. I don't think we've ever had the kind of global response response to a, a pandemic like we have this time, uh, and I, what I'm specifically referring to is the essentially shutting down of the global economy. And if going into this episode, uh, the national economy and, and somewhat to a lesser extent, the states economy was doing quite well, and so this is this is like slamming on the brakes uh, for the economy.
1: Webb says the state will likely follow the same national trends with recovery beginning in the third quarter, albeit slower in Mississippi.
0: So what does this mean for the overall Mississippi economy? Again, the story is basically the same. Deep recession, long recovery. Um, Historically speaking, we do not do as well as the U.S. Uh, It's very rarely that we outperform the U.S. Uh, We think that for the first quarter, first quarter we declined about 5.3%. We think for the second quarter we are going to decline 44%. So like the nation, we do think that recovery begins in the third quarter and then strengthens in the fourth quarter. So basically we are following the same pattern as the nation, but at lower growth rates. Um, if If you think about the last recession, one of the things that really drove growth during the recovery was growth in metro areas mississippi does not have metro areas we have relatively small metro areas uh and so we did not participate in that early recovery Uh, and that could be the case this time as well
1: the big picture webb forecasts the state's economy which still hasn't fully recovered from last decade's great recession will not reach pre-covid levels until 2023 at the earliest
0: so this means that it does take us longer to get back to our pre-recession level whereas at the nation we think sometime mid 2022 I only carried my model out to the end of 2022. I didn't carry it out any further because, honestly, I'm just not so sure that there's uh, much we can say about that, especially at the state level. Uh, But at the earliest, we're looking at 2023 before we're back to our pre-recession levels. Some say, well, you're, you're pessimistic. Maybe I am. But if you go back to the last recession, as of the fourth quarter of 2019, we had technically not regained... The pre-recession, back in 2008 level. Okay, so we were right at it, like one tenth of percent below. But from a technical standpoint, we hadn't actually reached it. So I don't. I think that the 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 history shows that we we have had a, a very slow recovery over the, the last recession, and I think we could do that this time as well.
1: Reeves, aware of data Web presented during the hearing, says the most important point is the many unknowns Mississippi is still facing.
2: We know that we have a long road ahead. The most important thing to me was his point about what we don't know. Now, politicians do not like to admit when we don't know things, but I'll admit that in this pandemic, I do not have all of the answers. I do not know what the virus is going to do through the summer. I do not know exactly what the fall is going to look like. I do not know when exactly mississippians will be able to engage in the economy enough to get us back to better higher levels i have been exposed to more data and more information than just about anyone in this country i have access to more capable competent experts than just about anyone in this country i still don't know what the summer is going to look like i still don't know exactly What the fall is going to bring us right now we have not only a public health crisis before us but also an economic crisis unfolding it is going to take continued effort continued engagement and continued empathy by all of us
1: coming up we look at the phased reopenings of restaurants in the region in our latest gulf states newsroom roundtable this is mississippi edition on mpb think radio This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. The coronavirus pandemic has caused more job and revenue losses in the restaurant industry than any other sector in the U.S. Even as states reopen their economies, many restaurants remain closed and food services employees are still without work. WWNO in New Orleans speaks with reporters from the Gulf States newsroom to compare notes on the restaurant scene and phased reopenings.
4: Hi, I'm Betsy Shepard from WWNO in New Orleans, and today I'm speaking with Janae Pierre from WBHM in Birmingham and Kobe Vance at Mississippi Public Broadcasting. About the restaurant industry in the Gulf South states and how it's been affected by COVID 19. I'll go ahead and get us started with some data from the Louisiana Restaurant Association. Nearly half of all Louisiana restaurants closed down since mid March. Restaurants that stayed open reported, on average, a 73% decline in sales, and 115,000 Louisiana food service workers have lost their jobs. So Louisiana's restaurant industry has been completely devastated by this pandemic, and probably more so than most places because we have such a tourism-dependent economy here. Louisiana did start phase one reopening in mid-May, but many restaurant owners have opted not to reopen their dining rooms. And that's for several reasons. Many haven't received their Paycheck Protection Program loans, so they don't have the funds to make payroll. Many restaurant owners that I've talked to say they can't pay their employees the same amount as their federal unemployment checks. And also, Phase 1 reopening restricts dining rooms to 25% capacity. Many restaurant owners say they can't make a profit with such few customers. I recently spoke to Melvin Rodrigue, who's the president of Galatoire's, the famous French Quarter restaurant. He said Galatoire's reopened, but he doesn't expect the restaurant to make a profit for a year or more. He said they reopened to make people feel comfortable and to get them back in the habit of dining out. So rebuilding their customer base is going to be slow and expensive, and Galatoire's is in a financial position to do that. But he said many restaurants, and especially small ones, won't have the capital to operate at a loss for that length of time. Phase one restrictions extend to June 5th, and Governor John Bell Edwards will make an announcement at the beginning of the month about what will happen after that. Janae, tell us about the restaurant industry in Alabama.
5: Yeah, So we've seen several restaurant closures across the state as a result of the coronavirus outbreak. Earlier this month, data was released from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And that data shows that Alabama lost at least $220 million in state and local revenues from the hospitality industry. And that was just within seven weeks. As far as service industry unemployment, that number is decreasing. Back in mid-March, nearly 20,000 hospitality workers filed for unemployment benefits. And the latest figures from the State Department of Labor shows that number is now down to 2,300. So the looser restrictions on restaurants has put thousands of people back to work here in Alabama. Um, We're technically still in phase two of the reopening process. Restaurants, breweries and bars were allowed to reopen at 50 percent capacity on May 8th. And Alabama continues to reopen more of the economy as the number of coronavirus cases in the state continues to increase. So moving to the next phase is not
4: based on COVID numbers going down. It doesn't seem that way. No. Kobe, tell us what the situation is like in Mississippi. Mississippi.
6: Yes, in Mississippi, um, we're also being hit very hard. Right whenever this all started, the governor put in the shelter in place order and that required a lot of businesses to shut down and that included restaurants. A few weeks ago, the governor allowed restaurants to begin to have people come back into the buildings at half capacity. But that being said, their staffs are not entirely back yet. Uh, We are seeing that. A large number of people are still calling the state unemployment lines. Um, the Mississippi Department of Employment Security is running at maximum capacity. They've hired on tons of more staff, but calls still can't get through. Um, Governor Reeves has proceeded to reopen as many things as he can, but he says he's following um, the state health department's uh, data and... But as we look at the, uh, the data that's coming out now, you've seen a small upticks here and there of case numbers, and it, it brings in the question, you know, is this just going to keep prolonging the time it's going to take for more businesses to reopen for restaurants to be able to bring back in more capacity?
1: Thanks, Shanae. Thanks,
5: Kobe. Thank you.
6: Thank you.
1: That was Betsy Shepard from WWNO, along with Janae Pierre of WBHM in Birmingham and our own Kobe Vance. They spoke about how the coronavirus pandemic is affecting the restaurant industry in Gulf South States. The conversation is part of the Gulf States Newsroom, a regional collaboration of public radio stations in Louisiana, Mississippi and Alabama. Coming up after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, dreaming in the time of COVID. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
3: No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, everyday tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. There's all kinds of different cells are involved about scar tissue healing. Even after it's healed up completely, there's still a lot of stuff going on underneath for months, sometimes years, as that scar gets sort of remodulated with the tissues to try to make it stronger. Uh, to try to cut down on all the damage that was done, uh, you know, through that surgical incision. Some of the cells that help in that rebuilding of the tissue, they can release substances that cause itching. There's not much to do about that. Sometimes some massage can help. If it's if the itching is really, really bad, uh, topical steroids, I've used that occasionally. Uh, I don't like to do it a lot just because it thins the skin, you know, chronically around that scar tissue and could uh, decrease some healing long-term. Oral antihistamines can sometimes help. uh, But generally speaking, it's more of a nuisance. Uh, The massage, I think, does help. You know, sunblock, those kinds of things. So it's not getting irritated uh, over time. Very common question. Usually it's not uh, necessarily related to uh, any kind of infection. It's more of just that normal healing with scars over time. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio.
1: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Unemployment, reduced work hours, depleted savings, health anxieties, homeschooling, all concerns heightened for many during the coronavirus pandemic to levels of disturbed slumber and sleep deprivation. For Michael Nadorf, an associate professor of psychology at Mississippi State University, the pandemic's effects on dreams has become a point of study. He joins us to discuss the psychology of dreams and how the stressors of COVID manifest themselves within them.
7: So, there are a lot of different um, theories for why we dream. The one that I have the most faith in is um, activation synthesis. So, the idea here is that we know that during REM sleep, the brain is active doing a couple of different things. One of the big things is storing memories, it's when your memories go into long term memory. And so, your brain is both storing the new memories in the long-term memory and also refreshing those that, you know, have been there for a while and are fading otherwise. And it leads to um, this random activation where your brain tries to put together things that happened yesterday with things that happened 20 years ago. And that's why we sometimes get these kind of odd dreams they are just a mishmash of of things we haven't thought about in forever and things that just happened to us. And also, it's one of the reasons why right now with um, with COVID, with us thinking so much about these things, why those pop into our minds and, and then pop into our dreams.
1: Does everyone have or process the way you just described or are people different?
7: So everyone will have REM sleep where they... They do process the memories like this. One of the big differences that you see is that a lot of people will not remember it because if we don't wake up during one of our dreams, we'll never actually remember having the dream. You actually have to wake up and have at least five minutes of consciousness in order to encode the memory of having the dream. So, with that, there are a lot of people that are dreaming that just don't realize. And then you have other people. That you know, whether it's in part because they're vivid dreamers or they just happen to wake up more often, um, are more likely to remember their dreams.
1: We're living through a time period that is unlike anything we've ever experienced with COVID-19. Everything is yeah. new. Everything is different. It can be very stressful for many uh, it can be depressing. You know, there are, there are all kinds of ways to manifest what's happening now. How is that affecting people's dreams?
7: What we're seeing is a huge uptick in stress-related dreams, which makes total sense. Uh, a lot of COVID dreams, and I'm I hearing a lot from colleagues, and I actually just had my first COVID dream the other night, um, of just aspects of the pandemic popping up into dreams. But, a lot of people um, having dreams related to their anxieties, whether that be, you know, work-related, financial, health. You know, that's one of the challenging things at this time is there are so many different worries we can have, all very reasonable worries, and so many things that we have in our mind that then, you know, if we if we ruminate on them, if we if we think about them too much, um, can start manifesting themselves in the in our dreams as well.
1: Because people's routine has been so changed. People have a sameness about every day. They're not going to work. Many people not going to work, yeah. staying home with children. I mean, worlds are upended. How is that aside from the stress of maybe not having income and fear of getting the virus? What about the day-to-day routine? Is that affecting people's dreaming?
7: Absolutely. So I think actually, you it's affected in a way that we may not think of. And that the sameness, I think, is what's making um, a lot of uh, COVID-related information stick out. Because when you look at your dreams, the things that often, you know, show up in your dreams are the things that kind of stand out through the day. The things that are most meaningful are the things that you focus the most on. And when every day feels like the last one, you know, a lot of the the little things, the things that are not related to stress or COVID, you know, those don't stand out because they're the same as every other day. But what does stand out is, you know, the latest news report or the latest thing you saw or the latest, you know, thing that's, you know, been, you've been worrying about. So I think it's actually the sameness has actually made it, So those anxiety dreams stand out more than they did before.
1: During this time when dreams are the result of stress or, as we said, fear or anger or whatever that might be, Mm
7: -hmm.
1: even if you don't remember the dreams, can they affect your quality of sleep?
7: Absolutely. So I think a lot of us have had it where, you know, we don't necessarily remember the dream, but you just know that you had a really restless, you very agitated sleep. So you certainly can see it where even if you don't remember the dream, it can have an idea of impact on the quality of your sleep and, and thus on on your day the next day.
1: Is there something we can do to avoid these kinds of dreams so that sleep can actually be restful after mm-hmm. a day of stress and anxiety?
7: I think the biggest thing to try to do is a couple fold. I think one is just trying to reduce anxiety levels as much as possible. And to do that, I would say um, limiting how much we're, you know, consuming just COVID related news. Obviously you want to stay up on the news, but not watching for several hours on end, that sort of thing. Um, trying to still do things that are, you know, self-care, you know, even if it's just taking a couple of minutes and you're know, doing some relaxation exercises, deep breathing, those sorts of things, that can actually really help if you do that several times throughout the day to you know, reduce your overall anxiety levels. Well,
1: and am um,
7: sorry, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. No, go on. And I think you know, also just trying to focus on yeah, if you have worries, worry about the things you can control. And if it's something that you recognize that you can't control as much as you can, try to put that to the side, just realizing that if it's outside of your control, there's truly nothing you can do. You can't change the outcome. So the worrying will do nothing other than just increase your anxiety and make it worse.
1: What if your children are having nightmares? Is there anything you can do to help them?
7: Yes. I've heard a lot of, a lot of my friends have been struggling with this with their kids and, um, so the first, you know, the first rules that we already talked about apply. Another thing that you can do that has shown some success is having the children actually draw out a new dream. So some will depend on the age of the child, but have them you know, draw or help them draw a new dream that will replace the bad dream that they've been having. And if they do that, if they you know, like once a day actually draw the new dream that they want to have, we you can actually have that start replacing the dream that they've been having.
1: Dr. Michael Nadorf is an associate professor in the Department of Psychology at the Mississippi State University and directs the Sleep, Suicide, and Aging Laboratory. Dr. Nadorf, thank you very much for your insight. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.